0: Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. Today we're looking at the topic of public worship and why we gather each week. Today's lesson is from the gift giver in his Gathered Guest series, and it's called Worship, A Place of God's Action, Part One. We're learning more and more about the reason behind church liturgy and how this flow of worship from God helps us receive the gifts of grace and peace that the Lord Jesus has for us. Here's John.
1: Why do we gather together on the first day of each week, why do we come together to worship every Lord's Day? First, we gather to receive our triune God's manifold and abundant gifts. Every Sunday, as we saw, is Christmas time. And so that's the first reason we're here. This is where the emphasis falls or where it should fall. We come together to be served, to receive our triune God's abundant manifold gifts to us. And then second, we we said this, is that the church's worship or the church's liturgy, the, the actions that we do and the rituals that we come together and perform week after week after week, that liturgy is the heart of discipleship. Liturgy is the way that we learn to put on Christ. The purpose of the public worship of the church, the liturgy, is to shape and form us into the likeness of Christ. So we gather, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, we gather together, he says, to attain to the unity of the faith, And of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that's one of the purposes for what we gather. Then, third, we saw that what we do in worship creates and affects our theology. And our theology, our confession, what we believe, our doctrine, our theology creates and affects our worship. There's an inseparable relationship between liturgy and doctrine, between the church's worship and beliefs. They have reciprocal effects on each other. We looked at the two different comparisons in church history between revivalistic Charles Fenney theology and what that produced, the kind of worship it produced in the church, versus the reformers and what kind of theology that the Reformation theology produced in the church. And so a theology of worship affects worship practices and worship practices call attention to and highlight and even creates the beliefs of the church. The church historian uh, Scott Clark at Westminster Seminary in California, he's right when he says, if you want to change the theology of the future, change the liturgy today. Church history bears witness to the truth of this truism. So that was what we looked at last time. Today, this is what we're going to look at here. Here's the fourth reason we gather together and and why liturgy is so important. The church's worship, or the liturgy of the church, is not only, listen, where God is present, but it is where God is active The public worship of the church, the church's worship, is a place of God's action. It is not just God's presence. We hear about, you know, let's come into the presence of God. We talk about that a lot. That's true, but the church's worship is a place of God's action. That's our point today. That's what I want you to get. Public worship, the liturgy of the church, we gather together to come into the place of the triune God's Action. So, what is liturgy? What is liturgy? We use this word a lot. So, what is it? What is liturgy? Well, liturgy is often defined, and maybe you've heard it defined like this, it's called the work of the people. The work of the people. Now, God's people do have a role to play in public worship. You have sung this morning. You are listening right now. You have heard the word of God read. You have sung songs. You have prayed prayers. You have confessed your sin. There are things that we do do in public worship. We do have a role to play. So, we don't gather as passive spectators. That's one thing that, as you come to Paramount Church and as we continue to reform our worship and to bring it into greater um, alignment with what we feel would be beneficial, most beneficial to produce you as a disciple of Christ, one of the things that you uh, are learning is that you can't just sit there and be a passive spectator. You actually participate. You're not here to watch someone else do all the work. Our church doesn't have a stage where there is performance. It's just elevated because if I was down here, it would be hard to see me. That's the only reason why. But we're not gathering as passive spectators. We are participators. We do have a role to play. But while we have a role to play in public worship... The first and fundamental definition of liturgy does not apply to our action. It applies to God's action. It applies to his work, not our work. So let me give you a little bit of a history lesson. Let's just take a second. The word liturgy comes originally and was referred to political obligations that citizens had to perform for the sake of the community. So here's some examples. They would participate in public service projects. That was liturgy. Or here's one right here. Here was a liturgy that they did. You're going to be familiar with this one. They paid taxes. So that was their liturgy. That was their public service. However, when the Christians took the word liturgy and their culture and applied it to the church... It came to mean this, the ministerial service to God's people by the public officials of the Christian community, that is the church. Who are the public officials of the Christian community in the church? It is the pastors. And so this was ministerial service that God's people came to receive through the official God-called-ordained public office of the church in the context of the visible gathering of the people of God, the local church. So what does that mean? Simply put, liturgy is first and fundamentally seen as God's action Through the means he has ordained. It's God coming to serve people. It is his service to you. And and he does it through the means that he has ordained. What are these means? It is word and sacrament. Those are the gifts of God for the people of God. He is the gift giver. What are his gifts? Word and sacrament. How does he serve the people? He serves it through the ordained offices in the church where people gather to receive from the gift giver his gifts through word and sacrament. That's what liturgy first and fundamentally came to mean. And so when we gather, or better, when we are gathered, when we are summoned, when we are called by God, when we come as the Lord's guest, as gather as the Lord's guest, a unique event takes place. Our Lord comes to serve us through his word and through his sacraments. And then the Lord's service to us calls forth our service to him. And so the public worship of the church, this is what we're saying. God not only comes to us where he's present, but he comes and is active among us. That's what public worship is. We not only come into his presence, we come into his action. We come to receive his service. This divine service is God's service to us and for us so that all of our actions are subordinate to and flow from God's actions to us first. Again, this is just a simple way of differentiating between law and gospel. Our works never, ever come first in the Christian faith. God's do. The gospel is first, and then our obedience flows from that. And so here's how one... Theologian defines liturgy, he says this quote. He says that liturgy is not something beautiful we do for God. Liturgy is something beautiful God does for us and among us. Isn't that great? This is what God does for us and among us every week. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 8 just for a moment. Let's just begin reading in verse 1 and listen to what the author says. He says, Now the point in what what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Look at verse 2. A minister. A minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up not man. Now look at verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old. That is the Mosaic Covenant, and that is the Levitical priests of the Mosaic Covenant. Much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Now, what is the author saying here? We're not going to get into the whole context here, but he's talking about the high priesthood of Christ in relationship to the Levitical priesthood and the Old Testament and the Mosaic Covenant. And he says says that the exalted Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, he calls him a minister in verse 2. Look at that, verse 2. Jesus, the high priest who is exalted at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, he is a minister in the holy places. Now listen, that word minister is a Greek word where we get the English word liturgy. And it literally means Jesus is our servant. Jesus, listen, is our liturgist. In other words, he's our worship leader. That's what he's saying here. Jesus is our worship leader. And where does he lead this worship? Where does he serve and minister to his people? And the holy place is in the true tent. What is he talking about this true tent? Well, what was the tent? The tent was the tabernacle in the Mosaic covenant, which was a temporary typological shadow of Jesus where the presence of God dwelt amongst God's people. And so Jesus, the author says, is our minister, our servant, our liturgist, our worship leader in heaven, in God's presence, of which the earthly tabernacle, the tent, was a temporary picture. Jesus is our worship leader in this service every single week. This passage explains why we do not call our musicians and singers worship leaders that's not what they do jesus is the church's liturgist this is what the author of hebrew says jesus is the church's worship leader he is the church's servant who is reigning in heaven ministering as our high priest as our exalted high priest jesus alone brings us safely into god's presence How many times have any of you ever heard, oh, the worship leaders now, they're going to come up here and they're going to lead us into God's presence. Have you ever heard that? I'm just astounded by that. I'm like, how can they do that? I'm not going there with them. It's not safe because only Jesus can do that. John Calvin says, It is never well with men except so far as the Lord shows himself to be gracious to them. How does the Lord show himself gracious to us? How does God the Father do that? Through Jesus. Who is it that alone brings the full forgiveness of sins to my life? Jesus Jesus brings me full forgiveness of sins, and the author of Hebrews says he makes this crystal clear that unlike the Levitical priests who could not bring any forgiveness of sin, Jesus brings full forgiveness of sin as our liturgist, as our late worship leader, as our minister servant. Why? Because he is seated at God's right hand in absolute power and authority. And so Jesus alone brings us safely into the presence of God. He is our worship leader in this service. And so the liturgy is simply the vehicle for guilty sinners, God's gathered guests, to receive the exalted Christ service to us week in and week out. It's a beneficial pattern to help God's people receive from Jesus, who is our minister, the servant, the liturgist, to receive what he has done for us. So when we think of liturgy, we have to think first and fundamental that this definition has to do with God's action. It is a place of God's action towards us. And then secondarily, it is subordinately our service to him in response. It is the offering of prayers, confession, the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. All the things that we participate in are responses of gratitude. They do not bring us into the presence of God. If you hear each week in the call to worship in Psalm 100, listen to this one more time very closely because you might, you may have missed it. Come into his presence with singing. You know, if you want to study the Bible, study the prepositions because that's where the theology is. Listen carefully. If I change one preposition, it changes the whole theology come into his presence by singing versus come into his presence with singing. Do you see the difference? We don't come into God's presence by what we do. We come into God's presence by what Jesus does for us on our behalf. And then as we come into God's presence and receive his action, we come with singing, not by singing. We come by Jesus with singing. Do you see the difference? Singing is not our salvation, it is our response of gratitude. It does not bring us into the presence of God. Jesus does. Now, as we think about God's action for us in this service, I don't want you to think about we must not think of His action as something merely that took place in the past, right? Um, too often we talk and think about what God did in Christ then without connecting the whole of Christ's past saving act to the, to the experience of life now, right? We shouldn't make that mistake. Listen to Michael Horton when he explains this. He says, when we think of God's work, we immediately think of the cross and resurrection, and for good reason. There, God's purposes in history are seen. The mystery is revealed, and Jesus Christ is publicly held forth as the substitute for sinners, and that is all well and good. But as central as God's past works are in redemptive history, we should realize that he works his wonders among us today, just as he did in the past, To be sure, there are no more burning bushes, no more atoning sacrifices, no more redemption-securing resurrections. Pentecost is an event in the past as well. However, God still works through signs and wonders. The difference is that these modern signs and wonders are ordinary rather than extraordinary works. Ordinary preaching raises the spiritually dead to life. While ordinary water, bread, and wine are taken up by God as signs and seals of his saving presence. That which God has done once and for all in the past is applied in the present. Thus, God's work during the service is not just talk about God and the wonders He has wrought in the past. It is yet another opportunity for God to work among us through the means that He has ordained. This isn't just talk, these are the means that He has given to us by which He comes to work among us in saving power. So, these ordinary means, what are they? What are the means? What are these ordinary means by which God is not only present with us, but is powerfully active among us week in and week out? He is present and he is active among us through the means of word and sacrament. Specifically, preaching of the gospel. The right preaching, the pure preaching of the gospel, and the pure or right administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. What are these? These are the gifts of God for the people of God from the gift giver. These are the gifts he gives to us to serve us. Word and sacrament are called means of grace. So it's a sacramental action. And you're thinking, well, what does a sacramental action mean? What is a means of grace? It's very simple. Listen carefully. The means of grace, sacramental action is simply God's acts. God's actions of delivering Christ and all of his saving benefits to us every time. That's sacramental action. God's actions, the sacraments are God's actions, God's acts by which he delivers Christ and all of his saving benefits to us every single time. That's sacramental action. And so historically the church knew this, and so the order of public worship was divided into two sections— Two major parts constituted historic Christian worship, the historic liturgy of the church. The first part was the service of the word. The second part was the service of the sacrament. So when we speak of the liturgy, what we are saying is that the corporate structure of the whole worship experience and practice that we're involved with is centered on hearing the pure preaching of the gospel and then receiving the pure administration of the sacraments as Christ instituted them. The whole service is just centered around the the means by which the Holy Spirit comes and serves us. And so these two major parts of the service emphasize the means, the ordinary way that the Holy Spirit reveals his grace. And what is his grace? His grace is a person, Jesus, and his saving work for us. That's the kind of service I want to be a part of and be present at because that is exactly who I want and exactly what I need every time I come. And so I'll have more to say later about the ministry of word and sacrament as we go through this series. But for now, what I want to draw your attention to is this. Draw your attention to the fact that through the ordinary means of grace, word and sacrament, preaching of the pure gospel, the administration of the Lord's Supper, the administration of baptism and public worship, The Holy Spirit is not only present, but he is active in a dynamic and vibrant, life-giving way every time. Let me just show you one example from the book of Titus. Turn over to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. I want you to see how Paul... Look at how Paul possessed a sense of the present active saving power of the gospel. Through the ordinary preaching of the gospel, he, when the gospel was preached, Paul had this sense of the, the present, the active, powerful presence of God right there. Look what he says in Titus chapter one. Look at verse let's just begin in verse two. He says that, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies, remember his steadfast love. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word. How did he do this? Look at this. Through the preaching. This is a very startling passage of scripture. Absolutely startling. Startling he makes a profound statement about the ordinary preaching of the gospel that we need to take note of. Paul says that when the gospel is preached, that the coming of Christ to fulfill God's promise of eternal life is made known to God's people through the proclamation of the gospel. By means of preaching the gospel, Paul is saying what took place in the past is made present and relevant in the church right then and there. What happened 2,000 years ago through Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, what happened in the past when that is proclaimed in the church, that which happened in the past is made relevant and powerfully active right there in the present, in the preaching of that gospel. This is absolutely stunning. This past historical appearance of Christ in his life, death, burial, and resurrection finds fresh relevance, fresh vibrance, fresh action in the present when the gospel is being proclaimed in the church. But what I want you to understand here is that the preaching of the gospel in the church is another opportunity for God to the gift giver, to work among us through the means that He has ordained to do that.
0: Thanks, John. That's a message called Worship, a Place of God's Action, Part 1. More from the Gift Giver series coming up next time. The heart of Him we proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.